Well, again, it's good to see you. Uh, Pastor Dan opened up the series that we're in right now, and we're going to be continuing that. As, as I said in Philippians, I'm going to go, be going through the, the second part, verses 18 through 30. But before I get into that, I did have a story to share with you guys. Uh, and this one actually is a true story. And there's a purpose for me sharing this. I grew up, I was born and grew up in Niles, Ohio. It's a little town just south of, or around Youngstown, Ohio. Anybody know where Young, uh, Niles is? Yeah, Aaron, I see that hand. He knows where it is. <laughs> and so it's a small little town, and uh, I don't know, we were doing something one day, and my brother, Roy, he's about two and a half years older than me, he was just getting on my nerves. He's an older brother, and he was just picking on me and doing stuff and just really getting me mad. And so, but I was holding it inside. You guys ever internalize anger? So I'm a five-year-old, and I'm like, man, Roy. I couldn't say his name. I'd say, Roy, Roy. So we come home, and we share a bedroom, and he goes into his room, and he shuts the door, and he locks it, and he's in there. And, I, and I'm just like, man, I just got to do something. So I knock on the door, and I go, Roy, open up. He goes, what, what do you want? And I go, just open up. I want to share something. And he was taller than me at the time. So he opens up the door. He goes, what? And I go, come here. I want to tell you something. And he leans down, and I don't know what overcame me, but I had one of those pistols, you know, the plastic cap pistols, you know, with the white pearly handles, and I proceeded to beat him over the head as hard as I could with it. That, I have to say, that's not sharing love to your brother, amen? That is not love. I was angry, and I reacted out of anger, and man, he got nine stitches, nine stitches. I got really in deep trouble. And uh, I'm still grounded to this day. I'm still grounded. My mom won't let me out of the house. No. Uh, and so the reason I say that is, man, that, <laughs> that is not showing love, right? And Paul, what we're going to get into, I, I was just thinking about this, like, what was so amazing about what Paul was going through? And I prayed about it, like, what, do I, what can I share with you guys? And what I really felt in my heart, this joy that he had, we're talking about this theme of the joy of the Lord, is because he loved Jesus so much and was so amazed at the freedom he had that he was willing to do whatever it took to, to let the most number of people find that out. And that's love. That's joy. And even when he was in prison, man, he was in prison and he didn't really care. You know, the, the title of this message, if you want to call it, a, a t give it a title, is To Live as Christ. He says that in these scriptures. He said, to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, he's in prison, and he's saying, literally, man, I'd much rather go and be with the Lord. That's going to be a better place for me. But I'm willing to live here now so that the most number of people can find out about Jesus. One of the things that he believed, and he, he knew he was going to die for what he was sharing. And do you know why? Because it was so radically different from what... Uh, his culture was believing about God. He had a whole different revelation of, of Jesus. See, he was on his way to Damascus, and he was, as you probably know, in much favor of killing Christians and seeing them thrown in prison. And he was on his way to get some, basically, the way I understand, some paperwork to be able to do more of that from the government, basically. And all of a sudden, he falls to his knees, and he's blinded for three days. And in that process, he hears a voice, and it's the Lord. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, Lord, what, what, what do you mean? And man, I, I just, it, it, I realized something. I believe that what Paul, the revelation he saw was he was literally 
coming against the love of the universe. <laughs> Think of that. The love of the universe. God is love. That's what scripture says. And Jesus was saying, why are you persecuting me? Love itself. He didn't see things right. He didn't have the right perspective. Wouldn't you agree? And I believe he was blinded in the natural so that God could show him something in the supernatural. Who knows? In those three days, I think he was probably downloading, God, God was just downloading his love, at least that's what I believe, in such a powerful way. Paul was never the same after that. And what he was sharing was freedom in Christ. See, if you go a few books before this, uh, in the book of Galatians, he was dealing with people that were trying to put the law back on this freedom. They were saying things like, you need to be circumcised to be a Christian. That's kind of a bizarre thing, but that's what the law said. <laughs> think, about that. think about that. God could have done anything, but he says, you need to be circumcised to be a Christian. And they were pushing that back on people. You, gotta, you can't just be free in Christ. It's not just his death and resurrection that's enough. You got to do more. You got to do more. And there was a lot more to it. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. So we're going to get into some of that because this is where Paul is making a choice. And I want to read you, uh, and you can follow along with me. This is in the U version of your notes. If you, wanna, if you have that app on your phone, you can check that out too. But I'm going to pick up in verse 18 in Philippians chapter 1. It says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Jesus is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Lord, I pray that as, as I share from your word, the living word that you would do what only you can do, Lord, and that's to cause it to come alive and set us free. Your truth sets us free. The more truth we have, the more freedom we walk in. I believe that. And the more lies that we have, either from the enemy or whatever it might be, like many of these people that Paul was dealing with, they were believing things that just weren't accurate. They weren't true. There's freedom in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see more and more of that as we, we talk about your great love today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, two thoughts that I wanted to share as I go through these scriptures. Uh, the first thought is this. Paul is basically, I think, encouraging his friends here in Philippians, because he was very close with this church, to number one, to not be afraid to die, and even more so, to not be afraid to live. In other words, he was so in love with Jesus from this transformation that he was willing to stay in prison and stay alive and let that testimony touch other people's lives. That's pretty radical when you think about it. Wouldn't you agree? To stay alive. Can you guys see that? Was the scriptures up there? Yeah. They were. Were they? Wow, what happened to them? They're lost in the internet, man. They're lost somewhere. Um, here's, here's some of the, the things that I believe when Paul, Paul was saying, he's, he's to me to live as Christ. See, he was absolutely transformed. And here's what I thought. One of the things that he says throughout his epistles, and he wrote three quarters of them about in the New Testament, one man. 
He would say many times at the beginning of the epistle, Paul, chosen of God. Paul, an apostle, chosen of God, chosen of God. Jesus even said that about him in the book of Acts. He said, this is a chosen servant. He's a chosen servant of mine. Paul knew he was chosen. And there's power in this. I want to share a little bit about that. There's power in knowing that you're chosen. Have you guys ever played sports in high school? You guys ever play sports? I had other social activities I was involved with, but I did not play a lot of sports, but I did play sometimes. And have you ever been on a team and they're, they're picking everybody, right? And have you ever been over, overlooked? Anybody else been overlooked? You got to sit on the bench. What's that feel like? Feels great, doesn't it? No, it feels horrible. Why? Because you're not chosen. You, you start to feel like there's something wrong with you. You're not good enough to be on the team. That happened to me so many times. Sometimes I was picked, but most of the time I, would just, I, was, I was overlooked. And I think some of you relate to that, being overlooked. And uh, I, I, think, I think there's a real profound need in every human being to be chosen, to be included, to be desired. Years ago, when we first moved to, to Denver from uh, Arizona, I had made a decision to never go to church again. I, I really did. Amy, my wife, knew that. And thank God that she helped me through it. I was very confused and very hurt, and I did not want to go to church ever again. And uh, I even made a, a vow not to, and, uh, to not go. So we're bebopping along, getting set up in Parker, where we lived at the time, and we went to a few churches, but we just knew this isn't probably where we belong, you know. And then she's on, the, on Facebook, right? She, she was on Facebook one day, reconnecting with an old friend of her, Lori, Lori Appleby, not from the restaurant. I thought it was the restaurant, like she founded the restaurant, her family, that's not, that, that wasn't true, right? Well, Lori Appleby, and they were, they were college friends. And Amy's starting to talk to her, and she's asking her questions, and finally Amy says, hey, by the way, Lori, do you happen to know of any churches you know, around that we might check out. And she goes, you know, I, I don't go to church anymore. I, I got really hurt, and so I don't go anymore. But my neighbors do. And you know who her neighbors were? Some of you may know their names if you've been around. Curtis and Miriam Helton. Two or three doors down from Lori Appleby. She said, they, they're so sweet and so kind, and they go to this church called Jubilee Fellowship Church. She goes, I've never been there, but I dream, I've dreamed about going there. It's just the love of God just drawing her, you know, it's precious. Well, she says that Jubilee to Amy, and Amy relays that to me a few hours later, and I said, I don't know what it is, man, but I think we should go. So we went. And this day happened to be the 10-year anniversary of Jubilee Fellowship Church. So at the time, they had... Lone Tree, one campus, they had Highlands Ranch, and they had just launched this church where we're sitting here. Called, it was Castle Rock, that, that campus, uh, just a few weeks before. So they weren't having a normal service. They were having a celebration of, of what God had been doing. And I was brand new. Our family's brand new. And I'm just standing at the door like, whoa. And the first person I meet, this is the power of being included and chosen, was Shannon Benson. And he, uh, you have to understand, I was a mess. 
at this time. I didn't want to go, man. But God just, he, he reaches out his hand. He goes, hey, man, come and sit with me. And you know where I sat, where our family sat? Darren and Janet Sessman, DJ and Cammie Smith, the Hoffs at the time, Carrie and Dan Hoff, and I think there was another family. And they are our friends to this day. It changed my life. Just that simple invitation to be chosen and to come into something. And man, I, I can't thank God enough for Shannon Benson. I, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. God speaks through that. Well, I have another story of being chosen back in seventh grade. Her name was Lori Bronowitz. Lori Bronowitz. Is this okay to tell you this? Thank you for accepting me for who I am. I have a lot of warts. Lori Bronowitz was the hottest, most beautiful seventh grade girl I've ever seen in my life. Next to my wife, of course. At the time, though, I'm in seventh grade. And I was doing other social activities. I was not involved with, I was not a jock. I was doing other things with my spare time. And uh, Lori dated the best jocks and the greatest athletes in the whole school. And one guy's name was Kenny Nelson. He was the superstar football player. He was this quarterback, and I think he played something else, too. And then he, he was the best wrestler, Kenny Nelson. I mean, this guy was like just this stud. And here I am with my friends. We would be more of what you would call the backlotters. You guys know what a backlotter is? That's kind of what I was doing. And I... I told my friends when it, because everybody knew Lori Bronowitz. You know, there's somebody in school, you know. It's the hot, she's the hottest, or he's the stud. And I go, guys, my friends, we were pretty much losers. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to date her. And they're like, there's no way, man. You'll never date Lori Bronowitz. Well, one day, I'm walking up the stairs to go to my class. And who's coming down the stairs at the same time but Lori Bronowitz? And Lori Bronowitz, I don't know if she faked this or not, but she just, huh, and dropped her book. And so being the kind gentleman that I am, I reached down and grabbed her book and our eyes met. <laughs> I was hit by the Lori Bronowitz power love wave. And I, I said, hi. She goes, hi. And long, long story short, she, she broke up with Kenny Nelson and she started to date me. Yes! I have done something right. Thank you, Lord. Well, she chose me and there was power in that. I felt like a new seventh grader. <laughs> I was new. I was fresh. My friends couldn't believe it. It was like a testimony of the school. Like, who the, what would she, how would she do that? Lori actually brought a hand grenade to school one day. A live hand grenade. Her dad was a Marine, and he had a chest full of stuff from the Marines. She brought this live hand grenade for show and tell one day. <laughs> she had it in a paper bag. And because I was her knight in shining armor, I took the bag and hid it and said, don't ever let anyone know you brought this to school today. You'll go to jail. And she goes, what? What? And so we hid it in my locker. I had a live hand grenade in my locker the entire day. <laughs> I kid you not. 
She was clueless. I mean, all I had to do. Did you imagine that? Anyway, as our love blossomed, and we fantasized about children and moving to the country or whatever, to Utah. We dated, but see, the, the story, the sad part of this story is Lori's, Lori's parents did not like me because of my extracurricular activities I was involved with. And they wouldn't let us date, and so they caused us to break up, and it was heartbreaking. Uh, but years later, thank God, another woman chose me. Amy Jean Soares said yes to me. And that has made all the difference. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding in my life. When somebody believes in you, with all your nuggets of bad stuff, <laughs> and you, they believe in you. And that's what God's love is about, isn't it? Paul knew he was believed in, I believe. I believe he was chosen, and that transformed his life. He was not afraid to die, and even more, he was not afraid to live. You guys doing all right? Yeah. That was a kind of cool story, wasn't it? <laughs> Lori Bronowitz. Man, never forget her. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We all have that from high school and stuff. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. She ended up marrying a big-time drug dealer back in Pennsylvania. So I got delivered, man. You know, thank you, Jesus. I'm not kidding you. I think he went to prison and they ended up not doing so well in life. Sad. Um, see, God says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that we've been adopted. Let me pull up that scripture here in a second. We've been adopted. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, we're chosen. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We've been adopted, man. We've been chosen. God's choosing all the time, and he chooses you, and he chooses me, and that's it. And there's power in that. There's such power. Paul knew that. Paul was absolutely changed by this love, and he repented. You know, the Bible says repentance in the New Testament, at least, is just a change of your mind to change. And it's the kindness of God, it says in Romans chapter uh, 2, verse 4, that leads us to that. It's not his judgment. It's not his anger. It's not his uh, frustration with you. It's his kindness that leads us to want to change. It was his kindness that led me to change back in 1985 when I'm in my dorm or apartment. My roommates had gone, and I was so alone and so sad and lying to everybody. I wasn't like a pathological liar, like, you know, yeah, I'm just super rich, and I got five girlfriends, and I did, ah, I got straight A's. It wasn't that. I just wasn't real with people. Nobody knew how empty and lonely I was. I was afraid to tell anybody. So I was covering it up with other extracurricular activities and one night I'm, I'm getting ready to study for my finals and some of you have heard this but I just felt the love of God to speak to my heart what are you doing what are you doing in a nice way it wasn't a mean way what are you doing son like a father to his son you know and I just said I don't know what I'm doing I'm so alone I'm so 
It's tired. I, I'm tired of lying to people. I was living a double life, you know. And all of a sudden, this love we're talking about just began to just overwhelm me for several hours. I, I literally had my mind change from thinking about me and all that to thinking about him. And I think that's what happened to Paul. That's why he was not afraid to, to die and not afraid to live. Second point, to not be afraid to share what you have. In other words, Jesus wanted Paul, and he, he shared with a lot of people, man. He was used by God to, to see a lot of people change. He wasn't afraid because he had found f- true freedom, I believe, true freedom. And when you find that, you want other people to know it, don't you? See, the other people that were coming against Paul, they didn't like that kind of freedom. They had to, they, there was more to it than that, you know? You had to do this, you had to do that. Paul saying, no, 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 no. I know this freedom is life-changing. It says in Galatians chapter 5, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, don't let anybody put another yoke of slavery on you. Let me, pull, let me pull that scripture up here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Wow. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Man. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now, at the time you recall, I said Paul was speaking to a specific issue that people were trying to put the law back on these, these people that were, Paul's preaching freedom, and they're saying, no, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do more, you got to do a little bit more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, and let's see here, you guys see that? And you show... That you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. This Again, this is Paul talking to this church. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It's a spiritual thing. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, this is important, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. See, this is a reference, I believe, to the law and what it does. It, the law, do you guys know what I mean by the law? It's more than the written law. There's over, there's 613 laws, but what Paul, it, it's that, but what I'm talking about is, well, how could Paul say it kills us? Do you ever think about that? How does the law kill you? I don't know either. Let's go on. No, I'm just kidding. How does it kill you? Well, here's, here's some thoughts. Because it makes you look at yourself. The law makes us look at us, not Jesus. The spirit of freedom in Christ, his life, sets us free to look at Jesus. And get our life from him and our worth and our purpose from what he says, 
not by my performance anymore. That's why it was killing me. You know why? Because I would do well for a few weeks in terms of behavior, and then I'd fall again. And the church I was in at the time made that really an issue, man. You call yourself a Christian and you're doing that still? See, I wasn't, I was so focused on me and not Jesus. It's that simple. When we look to Jesus and what he's done, we don't look at ourselves anymore, at least as much, right? I was looking at me all the time. Failure, warts, idiot, you know, being an idiot, not being an idiot, smelling good, not smelling good, working harder, not working hard enough. It's on and on and on. Think about your life. That's what the law does. I do this little experiment in my office when I'm seeing people. I'll say, hey, I got to go across the street to McDonald's. I'm going to get a Big Mac and a large Coke. I'll be back in five minutes. I like Big Macs. Sorry, guys. Uh, Whatever you do, do not look in this drawer right here. There's stuff in there I don't want you to ever see, ever. And I get up to walk away, and they're all kind of looking at me, and I go, just, just joking there. What, do you th- what just happened when I told you not to do that? You know what they say? Everything in them wants to open up the drawer. That's what the law does. It stir- Paul says in Romans 7, it stirs up our sinful passions because it shows us these things. But Jesus fulfilled the law, and he gives you and I his life to live this life. It's so powerful. It's so good. So... A little bit more about my story. Uh, Fast forward from 1985, I'm in this church, and I stayed there for 20 years. And really what I was doing there, as I look back, what was happening to me is I was becoming a Pharisee. (laughs) That's really what I believe. You You know what a Pharisee is? Expert of the law. Jesus loved the Pharisees, but he was the one, they were the ones that he would oppose the most. Why? Because they were putting this bondage back on people all the time. It wasn't about love and freedom. It was about doing and performing and having it together and uh, all of that. Well, I was well on my way to becoming a full-fledged Pharisee. I, I became an expert at finding the problem instead of pointing people to Jesus. See the difference? I, I, we're not called to be the Holy Spirit to anybody or the spiritual policeman. I point people to Jesus. He takes care of that. I used to tell people in premarital counseling, man, don't do this and don't do that. And then I realized, because the Lord convicted me, that's not, what are you doing? You're just putting law back on people. I'll take care of that. <laughs> so you know what I do now? I say, man, you, you pray about what the Lord wants you guys to do in your your time together, and let the Lord show you his love and freedom. And you know what happens? The people are free. They're excited about God. They're not angry. The law makes us look at ourselves. I I became an expert. It says in Romans chapter 7 that we actually died to the law because we're married to a new a new, uh, to Jesus in a new relationship. We died to the law. We're married to a new a new person. You see, I, uh, I remember I, I remember a moment ago I said I made this vow. This is, a, this is powerful. I just feel led to say it's not in your notes or anything, but just going back to this, this is how the Lord was setting me free from this legalism. I made a vow. I'm never going to go to church again. We go, and you've heard the story. We sit down. We, we become connected. And then, lo and behold, we come down to, to Castle Rock a few weeks later, 
And remember, I said I never wanted to go to church anymore. Well, Amy gets involved in a Bible study, and she doesn't know anybody. We didn't know anybody. I needed, we needed a whole new life transplant, man. I'd been in Arizona for 20 years, Phoenix for four, and that's when I resigned from all of that because I was so messed up and started a whole new life here. No, no, no we didn't know anybody except your sister. Didn't have a job. Didn't have, and we sold everything. It was a radical, but I thank God my wife followed me because I, I didn't know what else to do. I needed to get a whole new life transplant. So here she comes down to do this Bible study. And after two Bible studies, this gal that was leading, her name was Sandra. She takes her aside, Sandra, excuse me, Sandra. It was like Sandra. She takes Amy aside and says, you know, I got to tell you something. This may sound funny, but I feel like I got to tell you something from the Lord. Number one, you didn't make a mistake moving to Parker. So Amy starts crying because we thought we really missed the Lord because it was just challenging, you know, in many ways. I was living on support, financial support at the time, and when we moved, I lost 50, about 50% of it at one, one time. It was 2008, so a lot of people lost their jobs and that were supporting us. My income was cut in half, and I didn't know what to do, and we were just struggling. So we didn't make a mistake, and then she said this. She said, I don't want you to take this wrong way, but your husband has either said something or he's doing something that's preventing God from bringing you into the next season in your life. So she comes home and tells me that, and I go, I don't even know what you're talking about. She goes, I do. And when we left Phoenix, I literally, and I'm, I'm saying this because I literally just forget the church, only I use another word. I was cussing, yelling as we drove at 1030 outside out of Phoenix. I hate it all. I was so, it was so bad. She said, I remember that. So I go, man, I, you're right. And it struck me like, a, like nothing. And I went out and I walked on our property and I prayed for two hours. And the kindness of God led me to repent. <laughs> I said, Jesus, who am I to say what I'll do? <sighs> man. Well, within six hours of me Spending time with Jesus like that, DJ Smith calls me and offers me a job as an associate pastor. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's like the Lord says, all right, you repented. Now let me put you to work. No, no. <laughs> no, it was, that was absolutely amazing to me. From a, a word from a friend that didn't even know Amy at all. That's how God does it. It's always his love drawing you drawing you in those moments when you think there's no more hope, there's an, I don't care, I'm so far gone, it's right there. And all we have to do is change our mind. And even if you don't in the time, he'll still give you another chance. Isn't that right? Because he loves you so much. Doesn't want us to be confused. Paul was pointing his friends to glory in Christ. It says this in uh, the last part of this, and then I'll wrap up here. If you go back to, uh, to Philippians, I'll just read a few more verses. And this isn't in your notes. It's okay. He just said earlier, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for this is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. See, that he was transformed. He was so in love. Jesus, it didn't matter to him if he stayed or not in the prison. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. One of the thoughts connected to this when he says your progress, there, there's inherent in that or, or connected to that is he's literally saying, I want to make sure nothing impedes your progress. Have you ever had your progress as a believer or maybe, maybe whatever in life just be impeded? There's a lot of things that impede our progress. I just share with you a lot of it was the law, the legalism that was making me look at me, making me look at myself. Uh, I became some of the fruit of that, of how you deal with it is you become very judgmental. You become very um, self-righteous. See, I, I came from a, a, you know, a lot of negative stuff in my past, and then when I get, I get into this church, uh, we became very prideful. We were like the Green Berets. We thought we were the Green Berets of Christianity, you know? Remember the, uh, what were they called? Uh, the other group, not the Navigators, but the, what was that group on, church, on this campus? Campus Crusade, thank you. They changed their name though, haven't they? They call themselves a crew. See, we were so full of pride and thinking about it because we're looking at ourselves and, and what we do and how we do it right. And we would say, man, the campus crusaders, man, they're all full of lust. They kiss their girlfriends and have sex before marriage. And look at us. We don't do any of that. We're so good. And man, it just became so bad. And the other campus, campus groups hated us, man. They hated our guts. And for ample reason, we were full of pride. But see, that's what the law does. It just makes you that way. You're doing that? Oh. If you just had the faith that I have... Katie, you wouldn't be stuck where you're at. Not that I know anything about where you're at. I'm just using it as an example. If you had the faith that I have, that kind of stuff, do you ever hear that from somebody? If you just had a little more faith, you wouldn't be there. It's all about you instead of Jesus. And man, that I had to be transformed by his love. And that's what Paul's saying, man, I'm not afraid to live. I'm not afraid to die. Jesus it's so awesome. And, and when I was talking to my friend DJ about this, he said something very profound to me. He said this, the law always persecutes the promise. Isn't that amazing? And I thought about that as I was talking about this message and just getting his wisdom and thoughts. The law always persecutes the promise. And I wanna, I'm going to be closing here because I really believe I was praying and thinking as we were worshiping. It was so good. Thank you, worship team. It's just so powerful. And man, when you're in that moment, you just your heart starts to open up to things, doesn't it? And I was just thinking, like, man, maybe there's some of you here today that there's been some promises that have been impeded. Maybe something that's been stolen. Maybe something you've really believed for in your marriage or a relationship or a job, whatever it is, a job or whatever, that, that's been impeded. And maybe the enemy's lying to you. Maybe there's legalism entanglement. Maybe you're comparing yourself. Maybe you're whatever. And I, I just don't, I, I want to pray here. Because God wants us, I believe, to have this kingdom perspective. See, the more freedom we walk in, the more of a kingdom perspective we have. And we want to share this, this culture of love with people instead of the law. And uh, I just want to pray now. I, I want, to, want to ask you guys, encourage you. Now, under your seat is a little card. Should be a little card. You guys see the little cards? And uh, if you need a pen, 
Janet and Amy will come around, uh, raise your hand, they'll give you a pen. I want you to take a, a moment here and write something down. There's some hands over there, more pens. Just want to do a little, little exercise. And pardon me for going a little longer today, but I just want to, I'm closing. I've got another 45 minutes or so and I'll be done. No, just kidding. <clears throat> just kidding. Uh, anybody, everybody get a pen? And now for just a few moments, I want you to write on this pay, this little card something you feel that's been impeding your progress. Whatever it might be. Something that's stuck there. It's got you stuck. It's impeding your progress. Maybe it's like me, like the law, like there's something I'm not doing. I'm, my performance for acceptance, I'm locked into that. Because that's not what the good news is. It's not about performance anymore. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. It's not. Maybe you've been feeling lost and alone. Maybe, maybe there's something's impeding you. Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's, there's something that, that's just bothering you. And I want you to write that down on this paper. And we're going to take just a moment. Take your time. We're not in any hurry. I know we're going a little longer, but I just feel there's, there's just something God wants to maybe lift and minister to your heart so that, so that we can be free, walk in more freedom. Something's maybe impeding. Maybe there's been a lie from the enemy about yourself or God or others. Maybe there's, like I said, legalism. There's something about performance. Maybe the law is per persecuting you. See, I realized this when, when DJ said the law always persecutes the promise. I had this thought. Paul, at the time when he was on his road to Damascus, it represents the law, man. He was a Pharisee. He was, he was bound in legalism to the point of murdering and being in favor of murdering mm -hmm. Christians. And he persecuted the promise, Jesus. Jesus is the promise. The law always persecutes the promise. So whatever promise, maybe there's something God's promised you. Maybe it hasn't come to pass. Maybe there's something, maybe people have even discouraged you. They've betrayed you. They've hurt you. Maybe it's time to forgive. I don't know. But I just want to take a moment. You guys need another moment to write? You got it all? You got something written down? And I, these are for you. I want you to just take this home and think about it. I'm going to pray here, but... This is for you to take home and, and maybe in a week or two or a month, whenever, look back at it and see what the Lord does to show you his, his change for you, his love for you, drawing you into a new, a new season perhaps. So Father, thank you that you do amazing things. Lord, you love us so much. And I pray for every one of us here, Lord, that right now in the name of Jesus, you would do a, a deep work in our hearts. Maybe, Lord, that the law persecutes the promise. There's something about that, Lord. There's promises that many of us have believed. Maybe they, they've been stolen. Maybe they've been delayed. Maybe there's something else that's entangling our minds. Maybe just impeding our progress, whatever it is. Lord, I pray you would speak to our hearts. Just take a moment to press in to God and even ask him. Maybe it's something you've got to repent of like I did. Got to repent. Got to change my attitude. 
my mind. Lord, I've been bound up. See, the more truth we have, the more freedom we walk in. The more lies we believe, the more bondage. And it just it gets worse and worse. And Jesus wants to set us free. So Lord, speak to our hearts that we can walk in this freedom. And, and it takes that moment. See, God's outside of time. And many times what will happen is you'll start to think about a memory that you just can't let go of. Just can't. It just keeps coming back. And many, many times I believe that's the Lord trying to show you something, trying to show me something. And we can't go back and change the past, but we can change our reaction to it. And Jesus was there. He was in this memory. And we can ask him, Lord, what do you want to speak? What's the truth? Because, man, maybe I believed a lie in that moment. I know I did. Many, many times I believed lies. I, the promise was taken, whatever. Just think about that. Maybe there's something that you've believed that wasn't true about yourself or God or others, and it's kept you in bondage. The law has persecuted that promise, and Jesus wants to set us free. Thank you, Lord. He was there. He was there. Sometimes shame comes on us. Sometimes doubt and unbelief. I oh, mean, I've been doubting you, Lord. I've been, I'm, I've just been, I don't know, where are you? Whatever it is, God's not angry. He's not mad. He wants to set us free and let us walk. So, Father, do that work. I pray you lift it off. If there's been a curse of the law on some of us trying to perform, lift it off. Lord, you became a curse for us, and you broke the power of every curse. In the name of Jesus, Lord, lift off doubt, fear, change us, lift it. Maybe there's people thinking about a memory even right now, Lord, and they said, man, I believe something that wasn't true. Speak truth. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what's the truth? Even as you leave here, ask him, what's the truth? I believe something that wasn't true. What do you want to say? Lord, speak, set us free. and We want to walk in more and more freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.